This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, digital forensics has been a specialty science in law enforcement for several years now with emerging technology and investigative relations and revelations happening every year. The science behind digital evidence recovery, be it from cell phones, computer, or even the cloud, takes a skilled investigator who knows what they are doing. Well, my guest today is Deputy Director Caroline Torrey of the St. Joseph's County Cyber Crimes Unit in Indiana. Caroline started her career as a law enforcement officer in September 21 after five years as a television reporter for WSBT-TV, a CBS affiliate in Indiana. She covered police investigations as a journalist, but wanted to do more to impact the pursuit of truth and justice in her community. And so she started working in law enforcement herself. Well, now she's been awarded a Magnet Forensic Scholarship Award that will allow her to train for a year under digital forensic experts and give St. Joseph County the tools it needs to do more to fight cyber crime. Boy, we sure need that these days. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Caroline Torrey of the St. Joseph County Cyber Crimes Unit in Indiana. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. Yeah, great background reading up on you, Deputy Director Torrey. Does that sound uh, a little weird these days? Um, What made you flip the switch and go from reporting to law enforcement? You know, it seems like a pretty uh, abrasive change. And Initially, when I was proposed the idea, I thought that it was a crazy idea, too. But uh, as a reporter, I was able to get to know a bunch of different people in the community, including Mitch Kaiser, who's the current director of the unit. And so I I know I was able to do stories with him. And uh, this past summer, when I approached him and I told him I was leaving news, he suggested me joining the unit. And so at first I was unsure about it, but the more that we discussed the similarities of the investigative elements, um, and he assured me that I would be able to get plenty of training, um, and, you know, he's really taken me under his wing, and I've learned a lot from my co-deputy director, Mariah Donnelly, and also I am truly honored to have received this scholarship because they are paying for some really high-level training that's very expensive, Um, and I've been through a few of them already, but it's in person um, and or online. So I have a year full of that and I'm eager to uh, keep learning. But yeah, so it's it's kind of a crazy transition, but I'm so glad that I made it because every day is fascinating. And um, I really did love and I had an interest in watching forensics shows as a kid. So this is really a dream come true. And instead of you know reporting on what's happening uh, on crimes, I'm able to actually impact the crimes and, you know, conduct the investigations myself. Yeah, that's great. I, I, lo- I love to talk with converts, right, from the outside to the inside. And now thinking about your prior career in retrospect now, how much in reality did you know then compared to what you know now? 
So I've definitely learned a lot, uh, but I would say as a news reporter, I knew more than maybe the general public did. Um, so I was able to communicate a lot with uh, PIOs. I communicated with officers at crime scenes. I was able to see officers in action at crime scenes, you know, with their evidence markers, um, see some of their investigative tactics. Um, but now what I really know the biggest thing is that good investigations take time and you don't want to rush them. Um, that's when uh, potential really important evidence could be missed. So you want to make sure that you really do have that time and ability to comb through all of the data. So, for example, um, we get a lot of mobile devices, mobile phones uh, that we analyze and um, iPhones could have more than a million artifacts on them. So to comb through all of that evidence really does require time and energy. And so um, it's definitely something that hopefully, you know, we can convey to people that police aren't just, you know, dragging their feet. They're really trying to do diligent work to get the best results. Um, and another thing that I learned is that the job requires a lot of technical skills and so unlike a lot of other occupations, uh, we need to be prepared to testify in front of a judge and a court to the uh, to our work. You know, is it solid? And so we need to be very confident in our abilities to be able to articulate exactly what we did and why we did it. Yeah, great, great, great tips for for people new to digital forensics. And it, it is a specific area of expertise in crime analysis. What kind of uh, crime typically comes up in your assignments? What do you what do you see in most these days? So we honestly get just about everything. Um, so we uh, receive case requests from outside agencies, whether it's local, state, or even some federal agencies. And so we get cases from um, armed robbery to stalking to homicide. Um, so really, you name it, we'll do it, except we don't do ICAC cases. Mm. And I'll expand on this a little bit later in the interview, but we work with uh, Notre Dame students in the unit. And so we don't want them to be exposed to some of those things. And so uh, Indiana State Police usually takes over those sorts of investigations. And so, um, you know, as you mentioned, we use Magnet Forensics. And so we use their software called Axiom. And so they're continually updating it so that we're able to get a bunch of that information um, in uh, relevant to our cases. Okay, so um, you talk about ICAC uh, interview crime or internet crimes against children. And uh, so that's a separate unit altogether, I, I imagine. Yes. Yeah, so the Indiana State Police has a digital forensics unit that they also uh, that they process a bunch of cases. Yeah, that's that's important. What kind of training uh, did you get coming into the unit? And we know about your your uh, your future training. Uh, how much of it is is it ch changing? I mean, um, you know, back in the day, we didn't worry about digital uh, investigations. Now, of course, it's really important because work, you know, crimes are being committed over the Internet and certainly over cell phone communication between co-conspirators and things like that. Um, how much is it changing um, week to week, day to day? It really is truly changing very fast. And so um, in my period in the forensics unit, uh, you know, we have specific procedures that we follow, you know, the intake of evidence, the extraction of the data, the processing of the data and the analysis of it. But um, there are always new forensic tools coming out. 
And um, it's always important to be updated because yes, it is um, constantly updating in terms of the best practices uh, that we need to do to ensure that we are getting every relevant piece of information off of whatever device we are going to analyze. But yes, the Magnet Forensic Scholarship uh, does cover that sort of thing. And I actually, one big thing that um, we're going to have to become more aware of uh, as a society and as digital forensics people is that um, just cloud, the cloud. And so that's kind of a big um, kind of a buzzword, but I just took a four-day training in Nashville to learn more about it and um, just to learn the vast amounts of information that providers like Google and Apple are keeping on people and the ways that we as law enforcement are able to uh, harness that information and use it in investigations. You know, they keep a lot of uh, potential location data that could prove where someone was uh, and maybe they say that they weren't there. So that's a new tool that... um, I think in just about every investigation should be leveraged. Yeah. Yes. There's so much and it's so it's changing so rapidly. Um, You know, DNA seemed to be starting out this way, right? That we had some basic ideas from the OJ Simpson trial on DNA. And and now we are using ancestry databases to, you know, connect the dots with, you know, people who haven't even given their DNA. So that's, that's awesome. And, Digital forensics, um, just thinking about what you just said, uh, are you coming across an app or something that's uh, more prevalent in, in connecting cops to crimes? Uh, you know, we're seeing health apps, fitness watches, um, you know, data tracking, GPS and things like that. Uh, what's, I mean, without giving away too much, what's been like really useful for you? I wouldn't say that there's any specific app that really brings us the most evidence because people just have, you know, a bunch of um, a bunch of different sort of apps on their phone. But yes, definitely health data could be very relevant, Um, but probably in general, the most sort of relevant thing um, would be location data. And um, and Google is a big one that likes to keep a lot of location data points for people and um, in my training, the, um, the, the teacher of the class, he was a recent um, investigator for his police department, and he was able to solve a crime based on the data points of a suspect. Actually, it was the initial person was a victim, but by his investigations, he was able to confirm that that victim was in fact the suspect. So it is pretty remarkable. That's awesome. Hey, I'd like to get more into the nuts and bolts of what you're doing, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back and we're speaking with Deputy Director Caroline Torrey of the St. Joseph's County Cybercrimes Unit in Indiana. 
What can officers do to preserve digital evidence at a crime scene, whether a violent crime or even a white collar crime? So the biggest thing, we really want them to seize that evidence in a forensically sound manner. And so uh, previously, I think that officers thought that it was best to just shut the phone off. Uh, That is not true. So if the phone is on, keep it on. Um, If you shut it down, that can destroy evidence. Um, But if it's on, it's really important to isolate it from the network. So um, place it into airplane mode, um, try to take it off the Bluetooth. Uh, And if you can't do those things, because sometimes it requires a passcode to do that, um, put it into a Faraday bag that will isolate it from the network. Um, And another thing that we encounter is that um, sometimes officers really want to see what's on a device before we as forensic examiners get our hands on it and do our investigation. But if they manually look through the data, that can destroy and change evidence. So it's really important not to do that. Like, for example, if they do those sorts of things that can change the date and timestamps of things and make the analysis a lot more difficult. Hmm. Wow, that's good to know. And of course, officers should follow their own department and agency guidelines and training. What kind of evidence can be overlooked by responding officers that they should consider? You know, sometimes we have plain view access in a home or a vehicle, something like that. And then, uh, you know, we close the door behind us and, you know, then it takes a court order and maybe somebody, you know, a Confederate can can come in and destroy or, or move evidence. Uh, what should officers be thinking about whether uh, leaving a vehicle or, or a home after making an apprehension? I think a lot of officers do recognize the value of digital evidence, but they just need to know that there are a lot of different kinds of them. So, you know, whether it's computers, phones, SD cards, uh, USB drives, um, and it makes it challenging when, you know, you an SD card is really small. So it it does take a lot more time and diligence to find them and they can really be hidden anywhere. Um, But they need to kind of recognize if there's a computer there and there's a port, well, there might be a USB drive that was attached to that computer. So it's important not only to consider those big devices, but what are some things that could have been uh, attached to the computer as well? Yeah, that's good advice. And I'm sure search warrants are changing. you know, when we're looking for general evidence and, and indicia, now we're looking for these little tiny chips. Mm-hmm. People are getting creative at where they hide things. So it's important to be creative where you look for them. Right. So we've heard in prior cases of sophisticated proprietary phones, computers, and apps uh, that there's been difficulty in retrieving some of this evidence. Um, is that an issue that's been resolved in, in law enforcement? I would say it is an issue, um, but for the most part, I would say that it's been resolved. And so pretty much without being able to go into details, we do utilize hardware, software, and other procedures um, that really have resolved some of those previous issues. Um, And additionally, to kind of get some more of that information after we get the extraction of whatever device we're analyzing. Um, Magnet Axiom, their software has continuously evolved. And so um, we're able to get that data and see it in an easy to read form. So kind of that evolution of the software enables us to get more of that relevant information um, and see really what is important. So 
You know, the the court uh, legal proceedings have always been sort of the the do or die point of an investigation and arrest and we can do everything great. And then we get to the point where a judge rules, you know, for or against uh, us in, in our evidence collection, uh, data collection, ethics, consent, what warrant issues, what would have been the biggest stumbling blocks that you've been involved in? So anytime before we receive evidence, we, um, we have a case management system and officers will submit their search authority, um, their police report, and really other documents that are relevant to the investigation. And so um, we check those search warrants to make sure that they uh, are specifically tailored to whatever crime that of the evidence they're looking for on that particular device. And so really um, courts want to make sure that search warrants are specific enough to what we're trying to find. So digital devices can contain years of data. Um, I have actually had my cell phone for five years. So imagine how many text messages are on that to go through. And so courts are really struggling right now, I think, to determine what's reasonable and what's too broad when issuing those court orders for that digital evidence. And so this is a challenge that's really being addressed daily. And so we even see that um, when we send warrants that we write, for example, maybe for cloud data, and we send those to our local judges. So they're the ones who are uh, checking things to make sure that they are all set. But um, unfortunately, I would say the rulings have not been consistent across the country. Mm. So I think that this is something that the legal system will really have to grapple with um, to make sure that we are on the same page and that there's consistent guidance for law enforcement. But until that happens, we're going to have to really work closely with our local judges and rely on their rulings. So, Caroline, I'd like to ask you about your unit in particular. How many in the unit? Where are they from? Are they sworn civilian? What's your caseload like? So the makeup of the unit is really unique, and I love this aspect of it. So we have three full-time people. So it's me, my co-deputy director, and uh, Director Kaiser, and we have 20 Notre Dame students who work in the unit. So our unit is based on the campus of Notre Dame, although we are under the St. Joseph County Prosecutor's Office, but there are 20 students in the unit. Uh, They are all sworn except one freshman in the unit, and the students work approximately 10 hours a week on real investigations, and um, that allows us to have no case backlog. And so right now, on average, we have about 31 devices come through a month. So a case could have anywhere from one piece of evidence, you know, maybe one phone or up to however many the case requires. Like we, I think we just had a case where we had seven phones come in. So cases like that definitely take a lot longer. But uh, we have so many bodies qualified bodies who uh, we go through a lot of training with them to make sure that they're up to speed Uh, and they like doing what they're doing. They, um, they have creative thinking skills that allow them to kind of look at the data in a different way Uh, and good writing skills. We have them um, fully write up the reports as well. And we as supervisors review their work before they're submitted. Uh, And students have also been called to testify as well. And so we make sure that we prepare them ahead of that as well, because uh, we know that really anything can happen in trial. And we make sure that they know their case through and through so that they are 
they are experts when they come on the stand. And so we do forensics on devices from local, state, and federal agencies, and um, they submit their requests. And once they're approved with the correct paperwork, they're able to deliver them, and then we can get started on the investigation. And so, again, it just really depends on uh, what kind of evidence we receive and the difficulty of kind of going through it, um, how long it takes us. So it could um, it could take anywhere from, you know, maybe a day to a couple weeks, but we're really able to get through that information quickly because we have so many people who are qualified to handle that evidence. Wow, you are lucky. And so what happens post-grad? Do they stay with you? So not necessarily. So um, a lot of them, interestingly enough, are not computer science majors. Um, some of them are participating in a program related to um, computers and digital um, technologies. However, uh, we have a Russian major that's there. We have a political science major. So of all backgrounds, but uh, currently we do have a former student who is uh, at Quantico trying to get into the FBI. Um, and a, a lot of students kind of go the, the consultant route. And so, um, and we do have one that is at the uh, Massachusetts Attorney General's office. So it really just depends, but I think these kids really just, yeah, they they're really interested in what they're doing and the skills that they learn in the unit uh, help them translate to whatever career they choose next. Nice. Well, that's awesome. And uh, expect to be cherry picked when people hear this podcast, because uh, that is a valuable commodity that uh, you know a lot of agencies don't enjoy. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I've been speaking with Caroline Torrey, Deputy Director of the St. Joseph's County Cyber Crimes Unit in Indiana. Hey, thanks for um, coming up and, and bringing us uh, on board with what's happening in your unit. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was awesome to talk to you, Jim. Yeah, and congratulations on your award and your, your future training. So you can find out more about what Caroline Torrey is doing by checking out the show notes below. And let me know what you think. What do you think about today's episode? Do you have somebody in mind you'd like to hear from? Something on the forefront of digital crime, cyber crime? Let me know. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Stay safe, take care, and talk to you real soon. I'm Jim Dudley. 